This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. This is Real Presence Live. Steve Smolenskowski here along with Tom O'Keefe. We're having a great conversation this morning. Again, if you've missed anything, you want to go back and listen to our podcast at realpresenceradio.com. realpresenceradio.com. Also check out a banquet coming up here in Fargo, February 6th, if you'd like to host a table. Uh, we Blake would love to hear from you. Uh, check out the website there. Uh, again, the conversation here, we're talking about being seen by the Father, seeing our day, our life, our our time on earth here as through the eyes of the Father. We just talked about how the Mass nourishes us so that we can go out. You know, again, we're not meant to just stay, live in the church or live in the Adoration Chapel. We're meant to be filled by the Lord so we can go out and evangelize, so we can do works like Life Runners, going out and, and the message, bringing the message of life to the world. And now we're going to dig in a little deeper into how the Mass prepares us for this missionary discipleship through a phrase, a Latin phrase, lex orande, lex credendi, um, with Father James Ermer. So we're going to break that apart. So who's this Lexi gal, Father? She's a nice lady. Nice lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lex orande, lex credendi. Let's, let's, uh, let's break that apart. Or you can start where you'd like to. Okay. Well, I kind of always liked that phrase as I went to the seminary. Um, it was a great way of understanding... In the, it translates, the law of praying is the law of belief. And it's a, something that you can take, I think, a lot of places in any kind of worship ceremony. You go on. What they say, what they do, the gestures, the praying gestures tell you what someone believes or, or teaches. And that's certainly true about the Mass and, and any liturgy that you go to. So I always thought sometimes we should need to walk through a little more critically, or not critically, but maybe with a little more deeper eye and attentiveness to what we do and what we say. Because... It's pretty important stuff. So that's the lex, uh, lex orande, lex credende kind of thing. All right. So let's let's uh, step into that where uh, where the, the law of prayer is the law of belief. Right. So so what you see us praying will show you what we believe. Exactly. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. Maybe just a preface to that. You know, we've been talking about this for the last three times, I guess. Now we had all things. And one of the things I'd like to think is in the Mass that came out of Vatican II, one of the things is that we should be aware that... Uh, Prior to Vatican II, there was this liturgical movement. St. Benedict's, I mean, the Benedictines, particularly maybe St. John's, were very involved in this, and this going back to the sources, well beyond the Reformation, back to the 800s and the 300s and the 400s. And uh, they discovered uh, a structure. And it's always been the same structure, but it's been done always differently. And so we've seen a lot of evolution in the course of Mass. And I mean, But the structure that's there is a two-part structure. It begins with the Scriptures and the Acts of the Apostles. They attended to the apostles' instructions and the breaking of the bread, which is the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist and the Mass today. That's the two very fundamental parts of how the, it's broken up. And another thing, you know, they went back and claimed that saw the Last Supper as a meal. That was supper. It was the Last Supper meal. So that becomes a kind of a context of how to begin to understand maybe the Vatican II Mass a little differently than what came out of maybe Trent and after the Reformation kind of a thing. Neither one is better than the other, but it's... It's kind of our long, long history that we have as a people. And as Chesterton used to say, uh, tradition is the uh, democracy of the dead. We're not the only ones who thought of something. We should always look deep into our history and traditions and see all sorts of things. So when the Mass is kind of put together, it's, it's to me kind of interesting. You know, the Church recommends when we first come that we come a little early. Uh, most people arrive just in time or maybe late. That kind of is an exodus. So that's another thing with Vatican II. There's a lot of Scripture 
embedded in how we structured the Mass. And so in, in uh, Exodus' story, before they received the Ten Commandments, remember, God said, I want you to prepare. You just shouldn't just jump into the last minute. There should be a little preparatory time, and I think the church has always recommended that. But in many when you come in, before you do anything else, you make the sign of the cross, put your hand, or put your hand in the holy water, sign of the cross, and you genuflect. It's amazing what you've done just by those gestures we just take for granted, you know. You're acknowledging the victory sign of Christianity, the cross. The water represents our baptism, that we've come into this life of church with uh, not just the building, but also the people of God, the body of Christ, uh, through the waters of baptism. And we genuflect to what? The tabernacle, the Lord's presence right in our midst. I don't think we often think about that, but we just said in those gestures, chung, 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 something like that. And then, then the, you know, you go to the introductory rites of the Mass. And at least as you walk through that, it, it is kind of interesting to me if you usually begin with a song or antiphon, but now all of a sudden everyone either stands, and we do this beginning of developing a sense of a communion, where this is not individual like we did before. We knelt individually, got into pews, said some private prayers. Now we're beginning to gather into a communion. That's what the Eucharist is about, gathering people into a communion with one another and, and a love. So we begin to sing together, and then all of a sudden the priest comes in and we kiss the altar. And like I said, what does a kiss mean? I think kiss means something very special. You should pay attention. Something's going to happen here. We just don't kiss everything, but that gets venerated with, with a kiss. You know, and of course, you can go into the depth of that, a lot of history beyond that. But then the first thing, you know, we, we should remember is there's this w dynamic between the ambo and the altar. That's the only other time something else is kissed in the church is the gospel reading. So it's the gospel that calls us to the altar the altar gets kissed, but the words of Scripture, especially the gospel reading, gets kissed after the priest reads that. It's this great dynamic between the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist that's taking place. We probably just don't always see that. But then we make the common sign of the cross together. We just made an individual one, but now we're devoting this together as the people of God. Let's make the sign of the cross. And then, you know, we are asked to, first of all, if we're coming into the presence of God, we should call to mind our sins. That's a recognition. This is We're in the presence of something Awesome. And that we shouldn't just take that as granted in, you know, muscle manos, whatever, whatever. You know, this is important. So let us look interior into our lives. And we probably come before the Lord realizing we're not. And one of the things in the confidior, which is one of the ways that you can enter into the penitential rite, is you strike the breast. You know, it's a, that's a new thing that was added in 2013 when, uh, when uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, you know, did some of this different or uh, different prayer translations. And that was a deep custom where it's very scriptural. It's Luke's gospel when the publican and the Pharisees are praying. He sits at the back of the rear of the, the, the synagogue and beats his Lord, I'm not worthy. Have mercy on me, a sinner kind of a thing, okay? And is, is that, was that added or was it actually returned to That's a, a return to an a earlier return practice? Return to original, right? yep, earlier practice. So, yeah, I just wanted to clarify. That's interesting. In Jungman's book, when does that stuff begin? You know, that right. obviously wasn't done at the Last Supper, but it certainly was done and added into because that... This mass is a very scriptural kind of a thing, and there it is. You, you beat the breast or you strike the breast, and then all of a sudden, but it isn't just about sin. The very next thing in a typical mass, except that, is the Gloria, which is what the angels sang to the shepherds as they came at the, at the Christmas scene. So in this very introductory rites, there's these dynamics going on between the kissing, the liturgy of the Word, the liturgy of the Eucharist, between sin and grace going on. I'm not so sure we always recognize that, you know, we just go through this kind of stuff. And then we have that opening prayer that gathers, okay, here's what's been going on. Let's come into the, uh, now we're going to go into the liturgy of the Word. And I think that was one of the great things that, that Vatican II did uh, in terms of that. We truly enriched the liturgy by adding 
cycles of uh, scripture readings we never had before. In the pre-Vatican II Mass, it was the same set of readings every year, Sunday after Sunday, every, you know, it was 52 different ones, but it was then every year we went back. Now we have three cycles of Sunday readings, two cycles of weekday readings, which I think really give Catholics a tremendous, if they were to go to Mass every day, including the Sundays, they would get a huge exposure to what, what is in Scripture, okay? And that's based on man doesn't live on bread alone. That's what Jesus said, you know, when the devil tempted him to make the stone into bread. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but, but the word that comes from life of God, from the mouth of God. And so we go back into that reality of scriptures that what Christ has told us to do. He who hears my word and has faith in me possesses eternal life. Those are things I think that's the basis for why we spend the time. Because it's in the word that we're told, I'm the bread of life. Eats my body, drinks my blood, has life eternal. It's the word that tells us to go to the altar. And I always like that idea. It's like, uh, why well, I like that idea of maybe kind of the festive days in our daily lives are like Thanksgiving or Christmas. What's the two things we do? We gather and we tell stories and we eat a meal. That's what I think Vatican II discovered is the great dynamic, what happens in the Mass. That's the two things. We're telling a story, this our sacred story, but we're also eating a meal. That's what we do with... That's a dynamic of life. It's so based and rooted in who we are as a people. And so when we get to the gospel reading, the one that tells about Christ, interesting what the priest does. He traces that the, the, the cross on the words of Scripture, on the gospel reading, and on his, on his head, on his lips, and in his heart. You know, may the Lord be in my mind and on my lips, and in my heart that may worthily proclaim the gospel. So as we bless the bread and wine at the Eucharist, when we get to that, we bless that word of God. And we kiss the altar at the end of the gospel reading, we kiss the gospel. That dynamic between word and sacrament. I think sometimes we just don't always see that stuff, and it's good. Um, and then, you know, of course, you have the homily. And then the liturgy of the word kind of has, we stand after we've heard the stories of we can have a homily or a sermon. What do you guys like, a homily or a sermon? You like Homily, I guess. I'm a homily guy. Yep. What's the difference, do you know? <clears throat> uh, <laughs> no, tell us. <laughs> well, homily is kind of breaking open of the scriptures you just read. A sermon may be something that a priest thinks, I need to talk about this topic, I and see. I'm going to not necessarily even come off the Word of God, this particular Word of God. But huh. the, a homily is a reflection on that present, that okay. you're breaking it open, hearing it a little more deeply or richly. And once we've heard that story of God's love for us, basically, which is what the story of Scripture is, you know, then the church asks us after that to stand for the creed. And the core meaning where that word comes from, creed, it's, it's credo, in Latin, which means, but the deeper one is uh, core plus dare. So which, heart. To give your heart. That's what it is. You've heard this story. So are you willing to give your heart now to what the story of love that you just heard in the breaking open of the scriptures that's been done in the homilies, you know? And uh, if you have, then the kind of the thing ends with, uh, the, the inter- liturgy of the word ends with the prayers of the faithful. Because one of the things, if we've heard anything in scripture, is God hears the cry of the poor, which is the story of Exodus. That's why God intervenes. He's heard his people enslaved in slavery. And now he sends Moses. And so we are entitled to say, if he hears the cry of the poor, let us present our prayers to the Lord. And uh, now, so the liturgy of the word ends with those intercessions. And then we go into the second big part of the Mass, the liturgy of the Eucharist. So let me stop you there because we have to take a break here. So we've just gone through the liturgy of the word and every step there. And of course, as we were talking just on the other side of the, the break a little bit, how every you know, the, the human actions of the sit, stand, kneel, you know, the Catholic aerobics, as some people call it, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, there's something to that. There's a there's a, a sacramentality to it, right, in that sense of that, uh, the external 
um, our external actions, again, our, our prayer is um, revealing something of what we believe. And right. that's why we have, and that's why we, we stand for the gospel. Because we're going to put it into practice. We're ready. We're on the move. Yeah. We're tighten, you know, as the Exodus people, we tighten our loins and gird our loins. Gird our loins. <laughs> Get the right word. <laughs> yeah. Gird our loins. Well, we're actually going to step away for a break, but we're going to come back and continue into the, the, the second part of the Mass, which is the Liturgy of the Eucharist. This is Real Presence Live. We're visiting with Father James Ermer. We'll be right back. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo Di Filippis of St. Luke Productions. The Deep Desire of the Magi. Why did the Magi set off from afar to go to Bethlehem? The answer has to do with the mystery of the star which they saw in the east and which they recognized as the star of the King of the Jews, that is to say, the sign of the birth of the Messiah. So their journey was inspired by a powerful hope toward the kingship of God himself. The Magi set out because of a deep desire which prompted them to leave everything and begin a journey. This is the mystery of God's call, the mystery of vocation. It is part of the life of every Christian. When the Magi came to Bethlehem, going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Here at last was the long-awaited moment, their encounter with Jesus. Going into the house. This house, in some sense, represents the church. In order to find the Savior, one has to enter the house, which is the church. They fell down and worshipped him, and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here is the culmination of the whole journey. Encounter becomes adoration. It blossoms into an act of faith and love, which acknowledges in Jesus, born of Mary, the Son of God made man. The secret of holiness is friendship with Christ and faithful obedience to his will. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. This is Real Presence Live, and we're visiting this morning about the Mass and how it prepares us for missionary discipleship. Steve Splonskowski here along with Tom O'Keefe. And we're visiting with Father James Ermer. Uh, we just finished the conversation about the first part of the Mass, uh, which is the the um, uh, liturgy, <laughs> liturgy of the Word. Thank you. Liturgy <laughs> of the Word. I guess my brain just shot. The Liturgy <laughs> of the Word. Um, and, and, and Father talked about early on the Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, which is the law of prayer is the law of belief. I loved a couple of things you brought up in the first part um, where we talk about these words, right? Core, so credo, which means I believe, but you broke it apart, core dare. Which dare is, yeah, yeah core dare. I give my heart, to right. give my heart. Um, 
it's just amazing uh, just some of the, the the deep underlying roots of some of these words that we that we say uh, and and so confidier right means I confess right? right I confess it's just the first words I confess confidier um, credo I believe or I give my heart and so that's the first first part of the liturgy of the word and now we're going to move into the liturgy of the Eucharist yeah and I again with Lex Corande or Lex Rondi, Lex Credende you look at what we do and say that gives the understanding of what's going on here what is the depth of this core to give my heart, give my heart to what? Well, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is what the Creed speaks about. And so this Father who sends his Son to be present on these altars by the power of the Holy Spirit is kind of now leads us to what we call the offertory part of it. That begins the liturgy of the Eucharist. And it's always interesting, you know, we see that as the collection, right? And, uh, and so I always tell people, you know, here we've just heard the story of God's boundless love for us. He has no conditions on his love. He gives you know, relentlessly and magnificently. So what are you going to give in the collection basket? A lot of saints commented on that, you know, that we would come, we would be willing to come up for communion to receive the wholeness of Christ and give little at the offertory. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a reflection of what Jesus speaks in Luke's gospel about the widow's might, you know, the widow who gives everything. That's the spirit of it. You've just heard about God who gives everything. What is your response kind of a thing? And you can go into a deep thing about that. I'm sure you can go on a rampage about, you know, maybe giving and how we should give about that. But those gifts are brought up. And what's, what's brought up in the procession? It's the bread, the wine, and the offertory collection. And, you know, and as it's brought up and it's put on the altar, there's interesting, these kind of silent prayers that don't, most people don't hear because there's a song going on. But, you know, a little bit of water is poured into the wine, representing our baptismal life, the water. Now is going to come into communion with the blood of Christ, which will become after the consecration. Do we understand that dynamic that's going on, that we're being brought into this very mystery of God's love? And we, too, are being part of the elevation of his life of love for us in his sacrifice that he will offer on this altar. And then there's a little prayer that's prayed. You know, the priest lifts the, the, the patent of hosts and, and the wine, and blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we receive this bread and wine. And it comes from the fruit of the work and the work of human hands. This is a dynamic between God and man. This isn't just something God imposing. This is something that comes about because we've made that bread, but it's a fruit of his gifts to creation of wine, of the vine, the wine and the vine, the vine before it becomes wine or the wheat before it's crushed into bread. And so then all of a sudden, that part of the, he ends with the priest saying, pray my brothers and sisters that my sacrifice and yours. That's the first time where that sacrificial dimension of what the church is teaching the Eucharist, that this is going to be a sacrifice. Pray that my sacrifice may be acceptable, you know, and so, obviously, that is, and the people respond, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hand. So, we're both acknowledging this is a sacrifice, and we're offering it to the Lord. Then we go to the Eucharistic prayer itself, you know, where that prayer is just rich with all sorts of things, but it begins with the preface. And the preface always ends with the Holy Holy. And that's the, you know, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Where does that come from? Isaiah, in the book of Revelations, when they are entered into the throne, heavenly throne, that's what they hear the hosts of heaven singing. So now with the, this liturgy is telling us heaven and earth are coming together on this very altar. We are saying the words of what the angelic hosts are saying because heaven has now come to earth and what's going to happen on this altar that we kissed at the very beginning, venerated, you know. And then you go through that prayer. And, and it, a lot of things happen in that prayer that people. The first thing is the priest puts his hands over the bread and wine, asking the Holy Spirit to come, praise the words of consecration that Jesus uses, which then becomes the body and blood of Christ. And then... Then listen to what is prayed for after those intercessions. Five things that you'll find in every Eucharistic prayer. The Pope, the local bishop, Mary, 
saints and those in purgatory. Because this liturgy is not just a private little thing. This is about the communion of saints gathering at this altar, which we just sung in the Holy Holy, and, every, and all of us here. And we have to remember that every Mass is not just something individual. It's about a huge body of Christ. In heaven, those suffering and desiring to heaven, Mary, the, the pride of all the saints, the local bishop and the pope, the ones who are given the leadership of the church. Every Eucharistic prayer contains that kind of thing, you know. And then we end with, or we come then to the Our Father. It's kind of like thanking the Father for having just sent his Son again, the one who redeemed the world, into our presence, that we can enter into that same gift of love and be, be taken into heaven in our... And then, but that doesn't just happen automatically. <laughs> Are you going to do this in love for one another? So you're asked to give a sign of peace to those around you. Don't be coming to this altar if you're not in a communion of love with your brothers and sisters. And that's, again, Matthew 5, when Jesus says, if you remember you have something against your brother, leave your gift, make your peace, then come back and offer. And then all of a sudden, you know, once that's done, you come back and you do the Lamb of God and fraction, you break the bread. Because that bread is that one larger host that you use. It represents, it's meant to feed everybody, but it's broken into many so the many can become one. That's the that's the, sort of the notion behind the fraction right. You're breaking that into many parts so the many can become one. And then you're acknowledged like John the Baptist did. It's behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That book in Revelation, the last thing's going to happen, we're all going to be invited into the wedding feast. This communion of heaven and earth is taking place right here. And so, you know, and we, we respond like that centurion. If we're really knowing the mystery that's unfolding here, we go, Lord, I'm not worthy, which is what the centurion said, you know, uh, in, in Matthew's God. I mean, yeah, in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. I'm not worthy to have you come under. Only say the word, and my soul shall be healed, kind of a thing. And then, you know, we receive communion. And, of course, the Vatican II, after you know, our present church, is the body and blood, receiving both the body and the blood of Christ, is the catechism teaches, the, the instruction of the world. It's the fullest sign of community because... And, you know, some things that have happened is the, the receiving in the hand. That was one of the things the church discovered in going back to deep sources. Cyril of Jerusalem said that's how do you receive communion. You make a throne for the, the, the host in your hand so that you can, the Lord takes this and gives it to you, and you dialogically now feed yourself. There's a, there's a lot of dynamics going on in that kind of communion ritual and how that's done. Um, and then, you know, uh, obviously we, we receive communion. And then after communion, you know, we do the purification. These vessels have held them the mystery of salvation, and so we take care and precious care how we cleanse it and purify that. And then, you know, the last thing, I guess, which is what you said. Okay, if you've entered into this mystery, the, the, the closing sign is, besides giving the sign of the cross, victory sign again, that you leave with that on your heart, going forth, go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. That's your mission. You're supposed to be now, to, you, who, you, we who have now eaten Christ, taken his body and blood into us, are now supposed to be altar Christus in the world. So go forth in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Do the things of God. And that's the, again, the, the, the whole Lex Orande, Lex Credendi. We just went through the entire Mass, Father, with Amazing. the liturgy oh. of the Word and the liturgy he, of the Eucharist. And people say, how can you do that in a half hour? You can't do that when you have a regular Mass. It's obviously an hour long. <laughs> you explain. Well, and you, we could go a lot. <laughs> no homily or sermon. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we had a homily. This was, this was a, a homily. This was long. Uh, but uh, just a, and there's so much more we could go through oh, deeper, yeah. but again, pray, uh, thank you so much for that. We are going to step away just for a few minutes uh, or a minute here, Father, and come back to you. Uh, Rachel, we have a preview of our upcoming Real Presence Live. Let us know what's coming up. 
on the next Real Presence Live Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Nick Medelsky is your host coming to you live from Rochester, Minnesota. He'll be speaking with Kendra Tierney about Christmas Traditions, which is a new series on Formed. And you will receive an inside look at the Diaconate program in the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. All this and more is coming on the next Real Presence Live Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for that. And uh, make sure you tune in for that show coming up uh, tomorrow. Uh, And, of course, I ask that you have a a blessed Christmas as you prepare these last few days um, of Advent. Uh, Father, as we prepare uh, for Christ coming at Christmas, we celebrate that coming on Sunday. Um, and we're just talking about going out, going through the Mass. Uh, what, you know, the law of prayer is the law of belief. Um, how does that apply to our uh, entrance into Christmas? Well, again, a lot of, you know, seasonal things, you met, many churches will have like the crash, you know, and uh, I've been reading this book on kind of ad, just the Advent season, and I'm a big person saying, don't be doing all this Christmas stuff. This is Advent. This is four weeks of preparation, and, you know, you fight a culture that's... Uh, they just want to get Christmas gifts and buy, get your money and so forth and buy gifts and so forth. But I, but I think, you know, when we look at that crash and, the, and that baby Jesus, uh, this book that's talking about saying, you know, we should understand that when we're looking at that, if we kind of meditate a little more deeply, he's born of a human mother, but his father was God the Father. This is not just an ordinary baby, just like anyone else. This is son of God and son of man all here who is going to end up in the passion story, delivering his life back to the Father as a gift of love. And that's what he calls each of us to. So if we can have that deeper kind of reflection, that's what Christmas is about. This is an unbelievable baby. Not just a nice-looking kind of crush scene, but I think that's one of the things that you could learn from Advent itself and the end of Advent, the fourth week. Yeah, so the invitation there is this, uh, you know, maybe take some time before the crush, before the nativity right, scene exactly. that you have, and have a conversation with the Lord. Maybe a little examine about the Lord, you know, uh, with the Lord saying, you know, how do you see me, Lord? Yep. Um, what is my mission? And how are you sending me into the world to be these missionary disciples? Well, again, uh, Father Ermer, it's such an honor to be have here with you here with us. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. And, Tom, thank you for... Uh, being here, these many shows we've done this year been a great, a great time, a great fun, and You're most uh, we'll look forward to next year what the Lord has in mind for us. But uh, great, a great uh, opportunity to be here with you on Real Presence Radio and Real Presence Live. Thank you, folks, for listening. We ask that you have a blessed mayor, a blessed Christmas, and a happy New Year. God bless you, and have a great day. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.